Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Hey guys and gals, welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast brought to you by Arrowhead Land Company. Here you will be educated, entertained, and equipped to get more out of your outdoor experience. So hold on tight because here we go. What's up, folks? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. And real quick, before we get into anything else, a quick little reminder. If you are listening to this podcast on the day that it drops, May 22nd, today is the last day to sign up for Oklahoma Controlled Hunts. So, stop what you're doing, get online, and go sign up because you can sign up for elk hunts, antelope hunts, turkey hunts and deer hunts and so i believe it's only five bucks to apply for as many as you want to do some research and sign up for those hunts because it is a fantastic opportunity on that same topic but shifting gears just a little bit uh it is currently time to put in for iowa which i am actually putting in not just for a preference point i am actually putting in to draw an iowa tag so i've mentioned this Gosh, I don't know how many times over the past two or three years, but it's finally time. I'm actually doing it. I am putting in to draw an Iowa deer tag. So I've never really done uh, or successfully drawn a tag. I kind of did last year with the elk hunt, but gosh, I want to say the hunt we put in for had like a 90% success rate with zero points, and I had like three or four points. And so I put in and drew technically, but like, it was basically guaranteed. So this is the first one that I'm putting in for. And like, I don't know if I'm going to get it. Um, the last numbers they put out for, I think was 2021. And, uh, I want to say with the number of points that I had going for the unit that I am going for, I want to say it was like a 75, 80% chance of drawing. Um, but you know, if you put in some point creep, that's probably a little bit lower than that now. So, um, there is a good chance I will draw, but it is definitely not guaranteed. So say a prayer for me, cross your fingers, whatever you want to do. I would absolutely love to go hunt Iowa this fall. So that's the hope. Um, yeah, it's preference point seasons kind of winding down. A lot of the Western states are already closed. Um, I believe Montana and Wyoming, uh, they do it during the summertime. If you're just going for a preference point, um, if you want to actually hunt this year, I think that's already closed. Um, so yeah, if you have never put in for some draw hunts, it, it, it can be a little complicated. I get it. It can be a little intimidating, but you just need to take a couple hours where you can just sit down research the different states you know figure out the odds what your goals are you know are you going for an opportunity are you going for a trophy are you wanting to hunt in the next three to five years are you wanting to wait 20 years you just got to kind of figure out that stuff and do a little research and and start putting in i know it's intimidating i know it seems like it'll never come you know you hear about people waiting like 15 years to draw some crazy elk tag um but there's no better time to start than today so well you should have started a couple months ago but you get what i mean so 
So yeah, uh, that's all the draw talk I have right now. Um, I do want to touch, I had a pretty amazing weekend last weekend, so I want to tell you all about it. Um, so I talked about it last week, kind of my, my goals and what all I had going on. Um, I had had last weekend on the calendar for, gosh, probably almost two months of when I wanted to plant my spring plots. And so I was planning to actually plant some soybeans this year. Uh, my first time in a long time trying to like really do a spring plot. And, and yeah, this was just the time that I had the, you know, everything was just lining up. My wife had a girl's weekend. She was taking our daughter. So, um, you know, I didn't have to worry about any family complications. Um, it was timing out to where I had the weekend, you know, with work and everything, but the big kink was the weather. And I complained about it for like over two weeks because like every, I think Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, there was like a 40 to 60% chance of rain. And like, I just, I just wanted to know if it was going to rain or not, because if it was going to rain, I was going to save myself some, some money and not buy all the seed and not, you know, take the time to drive to the ranch and everything like that. But it just, it just kept staying right around that middle ground. So I went ahead, bought the seed. And drove up there because I knew if it ended up not raining, I was going to kick myself if I, you know, wasn't ready to go. So, so drove up Friday. Um, I didn't get there in time to do any prep work or anything on Friday. Um, yeah. So, so woke up Saturday morning, and I wouldn't say things went like super smooth, but they ended up somehow working out. So, so just to give y'all a quick little rundown. Well, it's going to be a little bit longer rundown, but anyway. So I woke up. And uh, we have two properties. I've talked about that before. We have our, our property on the river where we grow our hay. And then we have our main ranch where we, you know, have all the cattle and everything. So so I woke up at the river property and the drill was there at the river property. But the tractor I needed to pull the drill was at the ranch. So drove my pickup over to the ranch, drove the tractor back to the river property, hooked up to the drill, and then realized that the drill had a flat tire. And we had no air compressor there. So luckily, uh, my brother's truck was there because my truck was then over at the ranch. So drove my brother's truck over to the ranch, got in the work truck, which has an air compressor, drove it back to the river property, aired up the tire. Um, and then luckily I checked the, uh, the uh, seed bins and everything, or not seed bins. What's the word I'm looking for? This seed compartment. That's still not the right term. But anyway, where he put the seed in the drill. And uh, it had not been properly cleaned out from the previous year. So um, used the uh, the air compressor to blow it out and everything. Opened all the seed cups. Went ahead and ran it a little bit just there in the grass to kind of you know empty everything out. Got it fully ready to go. And then drove the tractor and the drill back over to the ranch. So during all this, it had been cloudy. It had sprinkled you know once or twice, but no, no actual rain or anything. So I finally get it over to the ranch. And I have all the seed in my pickup, and I kid you not, I open the seed box. That's the word I was looking for, the seed box. Open the seed box, and uh, I'm taping every other uh, seed cup because it's set on seven and a half inch rows, and I want them a little wider. And so I'm taping it up, getting ready to pour the seed in, and it starts raining. And not just a sprinkle, not, not raining super hard, but an actual rain. And so I just kind of, you know, I shut the seed box, I climb into the tractor, I had my sandwich there, so I sit down to eat my sandwich, I'm checking the radar, it looks like it's just kind of a passing thing, and sure enough, it stops pretty quick. And so I'm looking around, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not too wet, 
as long as we don't get any more rain. And so get back out, um, fill the seed box. I put enough in there for two acres because I've never planted soybeans with this drill. And so I'm basically just kind of having to guess on my settings. And so uh, I put enough for two acres in the drill, or what I'm hoping is two acres, load the rest of the seed on top, strap it down, and take off to the first plot. So get to my first plot, which is two acres. And again, I'm just kind of, you know, guessing on the seed rate. And so, you know, I do a strip or two and, you know, check the seed box. It looks pretty good. Do a couple more strips. Check it. It's good. And by God's amazing grace, I somehow guessed the seed rate like exactly right. And I'm talking exactly. Um, I I had bought an extra bag just in case. Um, I was shooting for 50 pounds to the acre. And I, uh, I put two and a half bags in, you know, just in case. And I ended up planting that two acres and having just a little bit extra seed in the drill. So I'm like, man, I am set. So drive back to the next plot in the back. It's more like a three acre plot. Pour the rest of the seed in there. You know, I'm still checking it every now and again just to make sure. But once again, like it just times out perfectly. And I mentioned that I had bought, you know, an extra bag just in case. Well, I get done planting my second plot and I still have some seed left over, which I should. And so I actually have a third plot that I wasn't planning on planting. It's just my little one in the saddle that I talked about um, or talk about all the time. One of my favorite spots to hunt. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't want this seed to go to waste. And so I might as well go plant it. And so I ended up planting my third plot. And uh, yeah, it's about an acre in size. The seed worked out just perfectly. I had just a tiny little bit left over. And so at the very end, I basically just opened the seed cups up and, you know, made one quick pass to empty the drill just to make sure it's, you know, completely empty. So, so all that to say, somehow guessed it exactly right and ended up getting not two, but three of my food plots planted in soybeans. So get back to the house and, you know, they'd been calling for rain at like three or four o'clock, something like that. Check the radar and there's no rain in the forecast until like midnight. And it's like 2.30, 3 o'clock or something like this. So I'm thinking to myself, you know, I, I didn't spray these plots. My plan was just go ahead and plant them, get the seed in the ground. The soybeans were Roundup ready, and I'd come back later and spray the plots. Well, you know, the seed's in the ground. I used a no-till drill. I didn't have to broadcast or anything. It's covered in soil. And I'm thinking to myself, I could go ahead and spray these plots. Like, I have the time. And so I jump uh, back in the truck, drive back over to the river property, get the sprayer, pull it back, and uh, I'm filling the sprayer uh, uh, while simultaneously making up my own little uh, food ration to put in my protein feeders because that was another goal for the weekend. And so we have a, it's, it's a seed box, that's what it's called, and it's made exactly for what you think. It's made for transporting seed. So it's a big plastic box that has like a trap door on the bottom. So while the sprayer's filling, I'm over there in the skid steer mixing up all the ingredients we have for feeding our calves. And so ended up we had uh, soybean holes, cracked corn, and DDG. So I did mostly cracked corn just kind of for the attraction. Uh, put some DDG in there for the protein and everything. And then mixed in a little bit of, sea, uh, of the soybean holes just in case the DDG was a little hot. And so anyway, mixed it up. Filled the seed box. Uh, the sprayer was f- filled by then. And so I take off again. Um, and a long story short, I ended up getting three plots for a total of six acres. Seeded, sprayed, 
and two of my protein feeders filled in one day. Um, like I said, it wasn't exactly easy. You know, I had all, I was making all kinds of trips back and forth. I was filling tires. Um, I had to do some calibrations on the sprayer. Uh, it was all rusted over. So I was like getting, um, wrenches and like having to use a hammer to turn them and everything like that. But when all was said and done at the end of the day, I felt so stinking accomplished. Um, I have not had a day and again, it wasn't a smooth day. Like I'm, I'm, it's, it's almost hard for me to say it was a good day because it was very tough, but I got everything done that I was hoping to get done. Um, I think I ended up working a solid 10 and a half hours straight. Um, like I said, I just scarfed down a sandwich that I brought from home. I had a cooler with some water bottles in there. So I did not stop at all for 10 and a half hours, but I got everything done and it feels so good. So Hopefully, hopefully these plots are going to work out. I do not have a green thumb. <laughs> Nobody in my family does, uh, but I'm feeling pretty good about these plots. Um, again, let's say, you know, if you were going to broadcast, um, then I would not broadcast and then spray. I would definitely spray and then broadcast. But using the no-till drill, all that seed is safely in the ground, covered in dirt, packed in and everything like that. So um, I, I just use glyphosate. Oh, man, butchered that. Glyphosate to you know kill all the existing vegetation. It's a foliar chemical that I used. And so it just you know, it kills by getting on the leaves and the leaves take it down and everything. So it's not going to you know remain in the soil, anything like that. So should be good to go there. And yeah, that was my weekend. Feeling pretty amazed. Um, I was trying to figure out another weekend I could pencil in to get up there and spray and, and check on things and fill the feeders if I didn't get it done and everything. But I just don't have to worry about that now. So um, yeah, headed into summer. Feeling very, very confident. Um, the only big project this spring that I didn't get done that I really, really wanted to was I did not get anything burned. Um, I was hoping to burn the canyon. I had my fire line dozed, set, ready to go. It just never worked out with the weather and my schedule. Um, it seemed like every week for like two months, all spring, it would rain every like Thursday and Friday. And so just, you know, when I could get there on the weekend to do it, it was always too wet. And then before I know it, we had this early spring and it was all green and now it's hot. And, um, and I just, I did not get it done. So that's unfortunate, but you know, I had some solid food plots last fall that carried me through the winter. Now I got my spring plots planted. So I feel like I'm sitting pretty, pretty. So, so very, very excited about this upcoming uh, fall, I should say, this hunting season. Really ready to see what happens. I've done a ton of work this spring and fall, and I'm really, really hoping that it pays off. Um, yeah, I think I just said this fall again. Really did a lot of work this uh, winter and spring, uh, and then hopefully it will pay off this fall. So. So yeah, that's what I've been up to. Um, enough of that. This week, we have a really, really cool podcast. My Sportsman's Empire brother, Andrew Muntz, is coming on the show. And we have a really cool conversation about basically just north versus south. What it's like to hunt up north versus down here in Oklahoma. And it's a really, really cool conversation, I think. And part of the reason I wanted uh, Andrew to have this conversation with me is because, one, he's from Ohio, so he hunts Ohio. He also, in the last couple of years, has hunted Michigan and Pennsylvania, two very, you know, uh, tradition-rich northern states. And also, he was just down at our place 
in Oklahoma hunting hogs like two months ago. So he's got to experience a little bit of everything. You know, he's he's seen my exactly where I hunt. Uh, you know, he's seen my stands. He's seen our property, the terrain. Um, he's, you know, seen all my mounts in the house and everything. So he's pretty familiar with things down here. Obviously very familiar with things up there. So we just have a really, co- really cool conversation about kind of north versus south um, different regulations, different traditions. We talk about deer drives, um, man, like the you know, their their gun uh, seasons, how they can't use rifles, and so they're stuck with straight wall and muzzle loader and stuff like that. So again, just a really, really cool, really, really cool conversation. So, so that's what we have in store this week. I hope you guys enjoy it. We're going to hear a quick word from our partners, and then we're going to get into my conversation with Andrew Muntz of the O2 Podcast right after this. Arrowhead Land Company continues to change the game in Oklahoma real estate. They have added new agents and more listings across the state to further help you reach your goals of buying or selling land. Their hardworking, goal-oriented mindset puts you and your needs first. No matter if you're looking for a prized hunting ranch, a family farm, or just a little piece to build your dream home on, Arrowhead Land Company can help. There is truly no place like the great outdoors in Oklahoma. When you're out in the wild, you want your wireless devices to work. Unlike other carriers, Bravado Wireless believes that coverage in rural areas is important so that you stay connected. With competitively priced plans and coverage where you need it, the mission of Bravado Wireless is to keep you connected no matter where you are. Visit bravadowireless.com or check them out at one of their retail locations. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. Hey everybody, welcome to today's show, and today we're talking to my old friend Andrew Muntz. How you doing, Andrew? Good, John. How are you today? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. It's been, uh, man, summer is hitting down here. Uh, I didn't see the actual high today. I know when I got in my truck after work, it said 101. Now, I know it was not actually 101, but uh, it, it's it's getting hot down here. Dude, if we see 101 like that once in the summer, that's that's hot. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I think actual temperature is probably 90 or something like that, but you know, the metal, the metal adds a little bit. So. Oh, right. 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 Yeah. But but anyway, man, uh, well, I was about to jump in because I know you fairly well, but just in case somebody's listening to this and they don't know who you are, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself? All right. So the quick rundown is that my name's Andrew Mutz. I'm up in Ohio and I live right outside of Columbus, which is our capital and dead center of the state. Um, I am a co-host of the Ohio Outdoors podcast on the Sportsman's Empire uh, with uh, Paul. He's our, our co-host. Paul is our turkey-minded person, our bird brain friend, that I, I, as I call him. Uh, and I tend to talk and be more interested about whitetails. But uh, we kind of we run our show up here. We've been doing it for about a year and a half. Um, not as quite as, as long as you, John, but uh, you know, we, we both came from non hunting families. There's been a lot of learning along the way. There's still a lot of learning going, but, uh, that's kind of been our, you know, I don't know. Our Avenue into this is, is talking to people and learning new things, but we're getting there. (laughs) Good, good. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, like I said, part of the reason I wanted to have you on was one, because you are from Ohio. Um, and you've also hunted some other states and we'll get into that in a second, but also, um, another kind of just kind of added bonus is that 
you have been down to our place uh, in Oklahoma. You came down, you know, I guess it's all, almost been two months ago now, I think, and hunted some hogs. And so you've kind of got to experience a little bit, uh, you know, seeing our place, seeing uh, the setup and everything. And and I kind of just want to have a conversation about kind of a, a north versus south type conversation, you know, how things are different. Um, what all ways? Um, one thing I really want to hit in, hit on maybe towards the end is just kind of the difference in the weather and how that might affect, you know, deer and deer movement and everything like that. But, but before we get to all that, I want to back up just a little bit. So, uh, real quick, you said you're from Ohio, uh, but what other states have you hunted up there? So, uh, over the last few years, I've I've spent some time in Pennsylvania, and then last year I went up to Michigan. Um, I haven't really done any other states hunting wise that i can think of i when i came down to visit you i stopped in missouri uh for coyotes with those guys but most of the time it's been uh, pennsylvania ohio and then michigan so. gotcha gotcha all right and w- we kind of did this exercise when you were down but i'm going to recap it kind of for the listeners so um I, you know we were sitting down at the table i think eating lunch or something and i was like i want to tell you what i think of when i think of hunting states like ohio and just kind of the northeast in general so i made my list here so i, I think of high human population uh small acreage tracks large body deer um and then kind of ohio specific i think of i mean the potential to kill a world class buck i mean there's some huge bucks coming up ohio and then also kind of with Ohio, I think of a lot of out-of-state hunters. Um, just from listening to podcasts over the years, um, it seems like anytime you hear somebody who's from like New York or you know any of the New England states, they all like dream of going to Ohio because it's kind of like the first big butts, big buck state that they can get to from the Northeast. Um, so I'm just kind of asking you, like when you hear that list, am I spot on? Am I missing a few things? Kind of give me your thoughts on all that stuff. I think you're very, very close, right? I think uh, a lot of of what you described is is very accurate, and I I will focus more on Ohio. Um, my time in Pennsylvania, that's Big Woods, uh, and I'll let you call Mitchell about that because he can give you some more more rundown. and And I haven't quite figured that out yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Big Woods stuff over there is different, but I'm going to speak in some big generalities <clears throat> when it comes to Ohio. So. You know, we're kind of that little heart-shaped state. Um, it's not very little, actually. Uh, well, maybe not <laughs> compared to Texas or Oklahoma, but uh, it's little. But if you if you look at the state, it's cut in half basically by inter- Interstate 71. All right, so that goes from Cleveland down to Cincinnati and basically cuts the state in east and west. The west side of the state is very heavily ag-based. Uh, and again, generalities, but we're lots of row crops. And corn and soybeans, some livestock, not anywhere close to the livestock you guys had, uh, but then it's mostly farming and agriculture. Mm-hmm. On the eastern side of the state, it is more the foothills of Appalachia. And you start getting much more rolling terrain. There's still a good amount of agriculture, uh, but the more you go east, the more you get into larger stands of hardwoods and that kind of stuff. Um, it's an interesting how the, the again generally in, in generalities, but I seventy one the way it cuts a state almost fi- follows a, a glacial I don't know a glacial till line or or whatever, but like how the glaciers set up. So the eastern part of the state, like the soil pH tends to be lower. You can get down in the sixes, 
and that kind of stuff. On the western side of the state, it's higher. I mean, you can get up into the eights. Um, and, and so that can affect the food sources that we have, uh, how crops are grown. Uh, and obviously, food is a major component of the deer. But I think overall, as a kid growing up, I used to think Ohio, well, I still think Ohio is the greatest state ever, but uh, <laughs> it's not just because of the Buckeyes. And I know there's a lot of probably a lot of Buckeye haters down your way, but that's okay. Um, but we really have a, a cool mix. So we've got that eastern side with the bigger woods. You got the western side with the agriculture. We've got lots of creeks and streams. We've got Lake Erie for walleye fishing, um, which is outstanding perch. Uh, so we've kind of got a, a little bit of all kinds of things happening but um from a deer's perspective that is kind of the geography of the state and then from there you can kind of break it down to you know what your opportunities are and what you see in, in some of these different um pockets so i don't know did i answer your question and like i don't know if you want to hone in on certain certain components of that no that's good uh you know oklahoma is very similar we got i-35 that cuts us in half Eastern side gets a lot more rain, a lot more lush. Western side starts getting pretty dry. So, so I definitely relate to that. Um, uh, one thing you told me, you don't have to give me the exact acreages, but the, you know, you talk, you told me the two pieces that you hunt on and, and the acreage size of them. And they're what most people around here would call pretty small. Um, and so talk about the challenge that, that comes with that. I mean, just, you know, I'm like, I'm assuming there's other hunters around you also hunting small tracks like that. Um, and, uh, you know, like, yeah, down here, I think we just have larger tracks in general. And I think people, maybe it's cause we're not as nice. I don't know, but I think you also don't have quite as many people hunting each track. Um, so I think our pressure is just more spread out compared to y'all. So, um, yeah, talk about that a little bit. When when we were down there and you were saying, Oh yeah, if you don't hunt a thousand acres, you're, you know, you're not, you're not hunting. And I'm like, <laughs> but like I've killed, I've killed a lot of deer, um, the last few years on combined eight and a half acres. Mm. All right. So I'm not quite Taylor Chamberlain, like hunting in the, in suburbia, mm -hmm. although there is opportunity for that if you can find the right spot, but here's the deal with Ohio in the Southeast corner of the state. Uh, we've got our Wayne National Forest. You've got Shawnee State Forest. Uh, the state has a few other uh, tracks of public land. But that's about it when it comes to public land. So because of the heavy agriculture, um, our uh, as far as population goes and you know population density, a lot of that is going to be very centric around the big cities, which is not uncommon in any state. Um, but you got to think Cincinnati down South, Columbus in the middle, Cleveland up North, you got Toledo in the Northwest, Youngstown. Besides that, it gets pretty rural. There's a couple other little cities and stuff like that. But I think if you look, we've got two or two and a half percent of the land is actually public and huntable in Ohio. So it's very low. You know, we're in that bottom, bottom I don't know, probably five or 10 states when it comes to public land. So there's not a ton of that. So you got to know people. Mm -hmm. Now, I was talking to Tyler and Casey yesterday from the Element, and they were kind of explaining the um, ins and outs of leases down that way. And I've heard, I think you were talking about it. I've heard Josh Rayleigh talk about it. Uh, we have leases up here, 
but I don't think it's quite the same as you guys. Most of the leases I know that people have are, I'm going to pay you X number of dollars to be able to hunt your land for the year. Okay. And it's not this, like we can come the weekend or, or, you know, pay for a weekend type of thing or, or whatever. Um, it's an, at this point, a lot of it, I should be careful what I say, it's just kind of like, you know, you know, somebody you're like, Hey, can I pay your top property taxes this year? And you know, let me hunt your land. They're like, okay. Um, there's a lot, a lot of, you have to know people and, you know, it's just trying to figure out who's hunting friendly, who doesn't hunt their property already, who, uh, you know, just let you in to, to do that. It's no different than any other state knocking on doors. It's tough. Uh, it's not my, my favorite thing to do. Uh, a couple of the places I've gotten access to are, you know, a friend from the gym, uh, a couple of my customers, you know, an old professor from school, uh, knowing some of the farmers, that kind of stuff will help. But like I was saying, the buck I shot this year was on a three and a half acre parcel hmm. and it was my first archery buck so i was really proud of it i'm not i mean it's not he's not massive by any means but man i was proud of it and it's just a little bit of a different technique because that three and a half acres butts up to 80 acres which is decent land mostly row crops but it's kind of getting them to catch them to come through and timing it up right you know um, that area is you know, I have cameras out there every year and there's one or two days a year that the, those deer will come through daylight and you just got to be there at the right time. This year I got lucky um, and made it happen. So one of the other things I'll say about Ohio, similar to you, is that we are a bait state. At this point, we still we are allowed to bait on, on private land, not public land, private land. But uh, so you do have those challenges as well. When it comes to, you know, pulling them off of other people's property, um, or just trying to make them happy, right? Um, I guess the only other thing I would say, man, is we have some monsters in the cities, and it never fails. Every year, I'll get pictures, videos, people sending me things, you know, eating somebody's arborvitaes or running down the street, and he's just monster racks, <laughs> and it's driving down the side of the highway in the middle of Columbus, and. I'm sure there, that happens a lot of places, but there there are world class deer that live in the city. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think that's getting more and more common just about everywhere. So, um, but you know the size the size of the deer. We I think we have good deer. We when we talk to our biologists um, for the state, we have a lot of deer, mm -hmm. and how they manage the herd in general, it's very unique. Um, the state itself, we do not have WMUs or you know, un any units, everything is run by the county. So each county has its own bag limit. Uh, we have a statewide bag limit, but uh, do you want me to go into all that kind of? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to try to show you the map a little bit, but you can see okay. we've got, um, there's three different colors. Where am I at? Uh, the big cities are the red ones. And that's where you can take up to four deer in that county the state itself is a one buck state uh but overall you can take six within the state each county has its own bag limit so you can take four in this county two in that county and you're done or one 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 you know six all the way across or whatever combination up to six total uh, but our biologists will tell you you know basically we have a lot of deer 
Uh, last year we got hit pretty good with EHD in the southwest part of the state, so I'll be interested to see how uh, how they changed the bag limits down in that part. But overall, we just have a lot, and he'll tell you, you know, the way they measure antler base on one and a half year old deer. You know, the the more deer you have, the smaller those antler bases are because food is scarce, more scarce for them and that kind of stuff. Um, so we they they tend to have, a, a you know, compared to some of the other states, I think we have a lot. CWD has come around in, in one little pocket. So they've been trying to knock some of the numbers down there. Um, but man, it never fails. You get some of these private land deer that especially in the western part of the state, if you get it out that way, it's so heavy ag. Any wooded area is just going to have something, mm-hmm. some jewel, in the, you know, diamond in mm-hmm. the rough out there um, that's just been eating corn all, all, all summer long. Um, and they pop up, and they pop up all the time. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I know if a- you – no, that's great. That's that's great. That's what I was looking for. I don't know if you were uh, were in there or not. When y'all were down, uh, I was talking to Nick out in the living room at the house, and I had all my my mounts in there, and uh, he pointed at my very biggest buck, um, biggest antler, biggest body. Um, I, I didn't have any history with the deer, but I mean, at least five and a half, probably six or seven and a half years old. And he's like, man, if you cut the antlers off that thing and just look at the body, he said that would be about a two-year-old in Michigan. He's like, the deer up where I am are just bigger. Um, and, and I think, especially on our place in particular, we're you know we're in a pretty lush area. Like I would say our deer body size are probably bigger than like the state average. Um, just kind of you know we're in the southeastern part. We get probably the most rain in the state. We do have some ag around. Um, deer can get old. Um, but man, when he said that's like uh, the body of a two-year-old, that kind of blew me away. So are y'all also kind of in that big bodied, you know, I'm, I'm just guessing, especially Western part of the state, you're talking about all the ag, are y'all in that big body area? Yeah. And I would, you know, as far as, um, I'm going to jinx us here, but we get a good amount of rain. Um, it's been a long, long, it's been a few years since I would consider we've had a drought. Um, so my line of work, I work with lawn care companies and sports fields and that kind of stuff, managing grass. And, uh, you know, there's, it seems like there's about a two week window in the, in the year that we really need irrigation to keep the grass green. Um, so to me, that's not much, right? So those, those deer spring, uh, we had a really mild winter here this year, um, so they they probably came out in pretty good shape um i've you know from what i've seen it looks like they're you know as healthy as can be coming out but then they they seem to always have lots of food sources western part of the states heavy ag more east you go you get into those hardwoods uh with you know, the acorn acorns and uh i now I'm st- i started listening to some of those guys talk i want to say acorn but it's acorn uh and and all the other browse and 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 woody food sources so i would say our bodies are good i've never weighed one but a good size buck you're getting in there you know a couple hundred pounds plus and um the does you know they're 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 decent size too and obviously not as big as a buck but yeah i think 
when I've seen the deer down your way, they are, you know, in comparison, a couple of times I've been to Texas, they look way smaller mm-hmm. than anything we have running around. So, but and it's food source and, and, uh, like I said, in the cities, man, they had all kinds of landscaping to eat. And <laughs> yeah, we just don't seem to have, because we don't, we haven't had a really extended period of drought or anything like that. It's been good. Now, the biologist may tell you that we don't have enough food, and that's why the antler base is small, because the herd's so big. But um, compared to the Oklahoma deer, Texas deer that I saw, I would say that, yeah, we definitely have size on it. Because so. where, where we're at realistically isn't that much different geographically from Nick. Uh, his winters are probably a little harder, but and he's in, what, southwest Michigan? Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Yeah, one thing about ag ground that I I just kind of never really had a opportunity to learn about because I have never really been in it. But uh, so I went and visited my sister uh, actually right after y'all were there and went turkey hunting, and they're you know in the heart of ag country there in Nebraska. And uh, I was there I guess late April, early May, somewhere in there, and uh, I I was floored at the lack of food actually. Um, you know, everywhere around it's corn and soybean fields, but they had harvested those fields. Um, nobody around there did any cover crops or anything like that. Um, I think they did have, you know, a kind of a hard winter, you know, snowpack and everything. And, uh, man, it like compared to when I was there last September to actually deer hunt, I was like, oh my gosh, like these deer have to be huge. They have so much to eat, but it, man, it just kind of depends on the time of the year. And, uh, you know, I walked through some, some woodlots and stuff. Um, I found, gosh, how many, I think I ended up finding three deadheads cause they had been hit by EHD cause they had a dry summer last year. Um, and so, yeah, I was shocked that, uh, even in what you would consider, consider, you know, ag ground, um, there are times of the year where there's not much for those deer to eat. And so anyway, just had to throw that in there. Keep, keep talking about ag ground. Yeah, if I had to, if I had to say, you know, the problem with egg ground, I think Paul would echo this from the turkey side of things. Um, it's the habitat, and every time I turn around, you just see the fence lines getting pulled out and um, trying to make these bigger farms. And I, I don't fault the farmers because they got to do their job. Um, but the habitat side of things, it, it's, it's just a little bit disturbing and you know what the industry and stuff too we, we've got warehouses and stuff going up and every time i turn around another thing goes down uh the flip side of that for me is that when i sell grass seed i'm like up oh, there's grass seed it has to go there but um <laughs> you know it's one of those really double-edged swords because you know that the habitat there you know pushing them out or pushing them places where they they don't need to be or i don't know that that to me i would say would be the biggest detriment to the herd um mm-hmm in general but yeah yeah i guess just in our area there you know there is some ag but around that ag you usually still have you know woody vegetation or pasture ground or you know something something that's left for them to eat but uh well and one thing one thing we don't have that you do is hogs (laughs) and i'm thankful for that i mean it was a lot of fun to come down and shoot at your hogs but um you know they don't really have a, a whole lot that they're fighting with on that end predator wise we have uh, a good coyote population and bobcats are we'll call them re-emerging they were basically extirpated from the state at one point um southeast ohio like the ou ohio university down in athens they're the bobcats and so that's kind of like uh where we 
they're, they're starting to push up though. And where I'm at, I had never seen one in my life. And then a couple of years ago, I was sitting in the tree stand and had a little one walk underneath me. And I had this, man, I looked at it and looked, I'm like, what is that? Because it wasn't that big and we don't have a season for them. Um, I think that might be on the horizon. I, I, they're not endangered here, but maybe threatened or protected. I don't know how that they, they word it, but uh, now I see, I see them more often and I've started doing some of the thermal night hunting and every time I'm out there, it seems like there's Bobcat walking through <laughs> and they're, they seem to be getting bigger too. So uh, I've got friends that have got, you know, turkeys and other livestock and, you know, they've got Bobcats in their coops all the time. So we're starting to see more of that. I don't know how that would affect the population, but the deer have it pretty easy. I would mm -hmm. say we're all on the predator side of things. So we maybe if a handful of bears in Southeast Ohio, but not, not like some other places. Yeah. You have the right to the best wireless service. Bravado wireless provides the best mobile wireless high speed internet, latest devices and customer service at prices you feel good about. Bravado Wireless strives to put these values first and offer you the best wireless service available. See what they have to offer at bravadowireless.com or one of their retail locations in eastern Oklahoma. Let Bravado Wireless connect you to your family, friends, and business partners all over the world. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. All right, well, I want to shift gears just a little bit here and kind of get into more of the like season structure type stuff. So, um, you know, a, a battle that we're, we've been fighting here recently. Um, there's been a lot of legislation in Oklahoma talking about uh, changing seasons, um, introducing air bows, um, you know, changing the buck limit, all kinds of stuff like that. So I'm just kind of curious from, from where y'all are at. Uh, I just want to hear a little bit about your season structure. You know, how long's your archery season? When's your gun season? Uh, and then another weird thing that, you know, what type of gun season do y'all have, you know, down here, like the, the phrase gun season honestly doesn't really exist down here. It's like you have bow season, you have rifle season. Um, but I know, I'm pretty sure at least in Ohio, there's places you can't use traditional rifles. So uh, yeah, big, big swipe. Just <laughs> touch on all that a little bit. All right, here we go. So uh, I think Ohio's pretty liberal as far as how they have things structured. Uh, it's pretty open. We do have crossbows. We do have baiting on, on private land. Um, our archery season always starts the last Saturday of September, <coughs> excuse me. So that is kind of middle of the road. I think like Pennsylvania, they start October 1st. Um, and then our, so our archery, which includes crossbows, we haven't, I haven't heard anything on the airbow side of things. Um, will run until February 5th. So literally you know, September, October, November, December, January, February, you're like five month season um, there. It's pretty good. And if you really want to get out late season with your bow, you're more than welcome to. We have our gun season that is normally the week after Thanksgiving. It is one week and they do throw in a bonus gun weekend. So usually a couple weekends after that, they'll give you a Saturday, Sunday to go back out. And for a long, long time, it was only shotguns. 
in Ohio. And a few years ago, they instituted the straight-walled cartridge rifle. So what is that, like 350 Bushmaster or 350 is it 350 Le- Legend? 350 Legend, yeah. I don't have one. Um, <laughs> I haven't... I, I haven't gotten into that. Um, I, I do still have a 12 gauge and that's how I started was, was with a gun. And, uh, so that's like seven days now. They, and I like that. I think that's good. Um, it's not one of these like, you know, forever long seasons and it become it makes it special. Uh, people plan vacations and time off around that. Um, we don't, I don't know that we necessarily have the traditional deer camps that you might have in some other areas like Michigan or Pennsylvania and some of that, but that week is pretty important to people in Ohio. So, um, the, you get, um, you get your, and you can also use a muzzleloader during that week too, but no rifles. There's no, no rifles outside the straight wall cartridge rifle. Um, got that one week it's it's past the rut so you are mostly past the rut so you know you don't lose a lot of that you don't have that interruption i know in some states it's like we got to get out early november because by november 15th they're you know the orange army's out there we don't really have that you get bow hunters get the entire basically the entire month of november to do their thing then after the first of the year so this this year it was January 7th to January 10th. So for four days, it's usually a Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, they open up a muzzleloader only season. And um, that's a lot of fun. It's something different. It gives you another opportunity to get out with a boomstick and, and go after them. Uh, so in my uh, experience, you know, a lot of times the way the gun season has been you know, utilized for me or people I know, you know, guys might take that week of gun season, do traditional hunting, go out to a stand, try to fill a tag or two. Um, but on the weekends of the gun seasons is when the deer drives happen. And that's when we get the big groups together. We push those little pockets of woods, um, make it, it may be not a traditional deer camp, but it has got that atmosphere. And if the weather's good, you get some real old timers out there and post them up and, um, so that, that's special, I think. And then, you know, if you do it right and you got a good energetic, energetic group of guys, you could do it the week of gun season. You could do it that bonus weekend and then do it in muzzleloader too. Um, we'll talk about the weather, but some, sometimes <laughs> Ohio's bipolar weather, you never know what you're going to get. And, uh, there's, yeah, sometimes those, those muzzleloader drives can be quite the, uh, Arctic experience. So, mm. But overall, I mean, that's that's the setup on the season structure. We do have youth uh, gun season in there, too. But I'm trying to think if there's anything. You're allowed to use archery equipment during um, the gun week. I was going to ask about that because I know a lot of states shut it off. But... Yeah, I think really the only thing you're not allowed to hunt during. I should I got the book here. I should look and figure this out. Um <laughs> I don't think you're allowed to hunt coyotes at night during deer mm-hmm. gun season. Mm-hmm. That would be the, like one restriction. Yeah. And actually I feel like groundhogs are on that too, but whatever. Um, yeah. Don't quote me on that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, <clears throat> that's how Oklahoma is too. Like a lot of times they shut off the, the coyotes and then uh, even hogs. I think you, 
I better not quote this either, but I'm I'm pretty sure you can hunt hogs at night during deer season, but you have to like physically call the game warden and tell him that you're going to be out there. Um, so most people just don't mess with it. So, um, you mentioned deer drives. That's a, a big difference between North and South. Like, uh, I I've never done one to be completely honest. Like when I see or hear of people doing them, it kind of scares me. Like I can't imagine, you know, just so many people out there. Um, I guess, you know, if you don't have the rifle that, you know, it changes things a little bit. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's definitely one thing that we do not do down here is deer drives. And I'm sure a lot of it is just private land, people being a little stingier, you know, I'm, I'm not going to invite 10 people to come walk around on my property and, and hunt and stuff. So, uh, I've, I've always been curious, but I've, I've never done it. Yeah. I think because of the farming. So, oh man, let's see. I, I careful how I say this, but in, uh, you know, when they come up, when, when they come up with the bag limits for the counties and stuff, a lot of it is based on surveys. As you can imagine, the farmers will always tell you there's too many deer. The hunters will tell you there's not enough deer. And that's somehow they come up with this number that we we abide by. Um, but like the deer drives that I'm part of, a lot of times it's it's on large farms. And so to them, the farmers are like, we're helping to save our crops. And a lot of times it's not so much the, this is my deer, your deer, whatever. Um, it's, it's a group effort. It's will, really well drawn out. Uh, if there's new people that are on it, they're usually side by side with somebody who's been there for a long time. Um, you know, there's the maps and everybody, basically it's like a war zone war room, you know, you put, putting people where you're going to be, um, like I mentioned, we don't have the rifles. We've got shotguns and the straight wall cartridges and the muzzle loaders. So the distance that those can travel, yes, you still have to be very safe, but it is not, we're not talking a mile um, distance. Ohio um, being pretty flat, at least on the, the western portion, you know, that is that's the reason for no for no rifles. Mm-hmm. Now the one thing I do question is that you're still allowed to hunt coyotes at night with a rifle, but <laughs> Um, we're not going to go down to that rabbit hole and I'm sure there's, there's good reason for it, but, um, so the deer drive, I think it, it's, it's an interesting thing. You got to have the right setup. You got to have a, a good amount of land and, uh, you know, some smart people with you. I did when I went over to Pennsylvania last year with Mitch, a lot of those guys did there, they did big drives through the woods. Now the woods are now they're allowed to use rifles, but you've got, I mean, you're, you're in the mountains, basically they're not mountains like the Rockies, but you definitely have a lot of topography change, but it's still the same idea that you've got people with maps and you're like setting them up. All right, this is where they're going to be and they're going to be and we're going to push through here. They're talking, communicating the whole time down the line. Um, so it's if it's done right, it can be, in my opinion, very safe. Um, there's always an element no matter what happens of risk, but you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's okay. a lot of fun. And you, you know what the one thing is? And some of the deer drives I've been on, you're going to see deer. That's, that was where I got my first buck. That's where I got my first deer ever was on a deer drive because, uh, you know, they get pushed out and, uh, there's years that, which is really, really weird. There was one, we had a big field. They pushed, we walked in on it the one year and there was three or four shooter bucks in there. I mean, they were good sized deer just out there browsing. And this would have been, you know, the 
second weekend in December or something like that. The next year we went out, we all we pushed was coyotes and kicked six coyotes out that mm-hmm. weekend and uh, no deer. So you always see something. It's just a matter of if it's what you really <laughs> want to see. Or- yeah. One last question on the deer drive. Uh, do you guys like, do y'all practice running shots? Because I assume several of the shots, the deers, at least, you know, walking, jogging or running. Do y'all practice that? Or is it just kind of, you learn throughout the years? Um, or do you not take running shots? How that's one thing I've always been curious about. We don't practice. Well, (laughs) I don't practice running shots. I try not to shoot at running deer. Mm -hmm. Um, have I shot at running deer? Yes. Have I, I'm trying to think if I, yeah, I did the buck I got. He was, he was puffing, man. Um, I probably got really lucky on that, but it's knowing where you're, where you're shooting always. And, um, what's behind you. But a lot of times when they kick them out of the woods, the deer don't always know what's going on. Going on. So that they'll, they'll go hoofing out into the middle of the field and then stop. Hmm. So and look, look back. I mean, you, you've probably seen that too. But that would, is where I would say inevitably they meet their fate. <laughs> There's times where if you have, uh, you know, that some of the properties I remember, you know, or that we've done. And I, I haven't hunted Ohio's gun season in a while because I've been in Pennsylvania um, or elsewhere, but the, you know, they know where the pinch points are just like anything else. The deer have their safe spaces. So what do you do? You put a, put post a, a sitter up there and the biggest deer I ever saw get shot on the deer drive. I think he was a 17 point giant man. And, um, he ran right to that guy in the sit- sitter position because he was in his outlet. Right. And he knew where he was going. The one guy, there's this little, we call it the island, sit right in the middle, and it's just this little scrub brush. I don't know if it's too wet to plow under or whatever, but he he always goes sit out there, and he would knock them down. He'd take one or two every every time, just run it because they would run right to him, uh, and it was like it was it was just perfect. So mm-hmm. a lot of running shots. I wouldn't say a lot, but it does happen, and I've seen it. I've seen guys shoot them. As you can imagine, most often there's misses, um, but it's just knowing where you're shooting at. So. Yeah, that's one thing. The hogs a lot, are- of, a lot, of, a lot of communication going on. Like mm. if if there's if you've got one running across, that whole line is yelling. You know, wait, wait. You know, whatever. There's make sure everybody's aware of what's in the background, or wait till it gets to this point. Whatever. Mm. Gotcha. I was going to say, that's one thing that uh, hogs are good for. I feel like I'm well-trained to take a running shot. So maybe someday I'll come up there and do a deer drive. We'll see. We'll see. There you go. Come on uh, up, man. <laughs> uh, one more big thing I wanted to kind of touch on, and I, this is not going to be a uh, very informative segment, I don't think. It's going to be a lot of opinion, but this is just something that I've always kind of wondered. And so I'd like to pick your brain because you're kind of on the other side of it. And I, I want to talk about how, temperature affects deer and deer behavior and i'm going to try to explain this as clearly as possible but um you know down here so we have an october one opener every year it's the same day um and it's usually still extremely warm um and you just don't see a lot of deer movement because it's so hot um and you know you hear some of the the big killers out there you know tony peterson Andy May, Dan Johnson, uh, maybe not that last one, but, you know, some of the big names, they love like opening day. It's like their thing. And, you know, they're scouting all summer and they're trying to get it done like the first day or two. 
And I just feel like you don't really see that happening down here. And I don't think it's because people aren't scouting. You know, everybody's running cameras and stuff. I think it's just it's so warm that the deer just aren't moving in daylight yet. Um, and so I guess where I'm going with this is like, you know, y'all's summer is not as hot as ours, but to y'all's deer, is it still hot? I guess is what I'm getting at. So like if it's 85 to 90 here, it's too warm. But if it goes down, you know, if we get a, a front and it goes down to 75, like we might get some movement. But for y'all, like if your average temperature is, I don't know, 75, 80, and then it goes down to 65, is that the same thing or am I way off on that? I don't think it's, I think it's, you know, geographically, you're probably fairly accurate, you know, eh, getting into the weather thing. You're right. It is a lot of opinion. And I think, um, you know, people up here, our, our, our season, it does. You start that first week and you're sweating in the tree and the mosquitoes and everything else. Um, and sometimes that first week in November, it's, 30 degrees and then there's times where the first weekend in november it's 75 degrees this last year it was warm uh so i think a lot of people would say oh i'm not going to go sit out 75 like the deer aren't going to move and i don't necessarily agree with that uh, i think people just aren't sitting out and maybe the trail cameras can be the x factor on that but i think they kind of lie to you sometimes too but i think um for me personally, if I had to tell you, I don't think it really matters. For me, one thing that matters is when they take the crops off. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, I if I have corn in, next to my one property, I swear I don't see deer until that corn comes off. Like they are hidden in there and they are not coming out, um, not in the daylight. There's other times where I see the biggest deer of the year is the back half in November. And that's, I do have the trail cameras on, on that. That's when I killed mine this year was November 23rd, I think. Um, and I hadn't really had a daylight buck on that property at all, but the previous year it was like November 22nd or 24th. It was like right in that window that they, they were moving through that area. So I don't know if it's the, the does get on, you know, every year they hit their, their, estrus or whatever at the right at the same time and so like whatever does are in that area just same thing every year call it brings the bucks in i don't know um weather wise though you know for me i i do like barometric pressure i do buy into that a little bit um uh, but most of the time you know i've sat out in the rain i've sat in the snow i've sat in the heat i've sat in the cold i can't tell you what if if any of that really affects it when I, what I'll tell you is I think Ohio is so weird and I, I, perhaps there's a lot of States like this. We say like everybody says, right, wait five minutes, the weather will change and everything. But you know, like a, last year was stupid warm during the rut, uh, that first week in November, there's other years where it, it can be snowing and there's other years where it rains the entire month of November. Um, there's years where we've been hunting on those deer drives in short sleeves. So in the second week of December and there's years where I remember one year, this is bad, but I was out kneeling in the field. I think it was during muzzleloader. And I think the, the high that morning was like seven or that day was like seven. Mm. Uh, and we were doing a drive. So you're going to push things out. But I like, I was kneeling and then I went to stand up and my leg had like fallen asleep 
cold and I just fell over in the field. So <laughs> which is probably not super safe. Um, but those are the things that, man, it, it can just be a gamut of, of whatever. And I, I don't know. I don't know. I, you can kill deer anytime. They're going to move when it's time to move and, and, and whatever. Yeah. I think it was 2021 when we had our huge Arctic blast thing down here and everybody's pipes were freezing and stuff like that. And I think it hit at my house. I want to say it hit negative three. And that is the coldest I can ever remember it being down here. Like I, I've never, I don't think before that I'd ever seen negatives. Um, usually a, a really cold, a really, really cold day would be like getting into the teens. Like you're talking real cold. Usually um, it seems like these last two or three years, we've had some, some lower temperatures, but like single, I mean, even single digits is almost unheard of down here. Um, you know, your normal cold front, it's going to be, you know, low thirties, upper twenties. And that's, you know, like at night, that's not during the day. Um, you know, usually in the daytime, you're going to get more closer to mid thirties, 40, somewhere in that. So, um, but I, I think that me personally, I've seen when it gets super cold like that, you know, those high teens, low twenties, typically it's only going to be there for a day or two. And for me personally, what I've, I usually see deer activity actually go down instead of go up even though it's so cold because i think the deer know that they can just hunker down conserve their energy and it's going to warm back up and then they can kind of go back to feed and i'm sure they move around a little bit and stuff um but when like with you guys up there when y'all get so cold and it's sustained for so long um do you think your deer just kind of basically are forced to get up when it's real cold and like i mean they literally have to to survive um I, I, you know, it's basically the opposite side of the heat thing. Like here, I think when it gets real hot, the deer don't move and, you know, I wasn't sure about there. And I'm wondering if it's the opposite, like when it gets super cold down there, do you think the deer are forced to move? That's a good question. I think one, so we, the coldest I've ever seen was this past, right before Christmas, we had that Arctic blast. And I remember seeing wind chills of negative 35. And, uh, I think the actual temperature was like negative 17, that's really rare. Um, um, we usually have some mornings that'll start in the negatives every year, but after that, oh, we only got uh, cold a couple more times. I mean, real like sub freezing cold. It was a very mild winter here. I would guess that based off of what you're talking about, the one thing, the element you're for, forgetting is the snow. If we have snow, which is not, you know, normally, you know, I can't remember how many inches we average. I think it's in the thirties. We're not, we're not, you know, there's parts of Ohio that do get lake effect snow and they're, they basically have snow still at this point in the year. Um, but when you have the snow and the white backdrop, you see them, right? And when you don't have snow, no offense, Ohio, but it's kind of a dreary, bleak, brown, everything. Those deer are hard to see, even down, driving down the road. So if we've got the snow and you, you can, you know, they just stand out. They pop. You see them moving. They're brown. They're, you know, they're whatever. So it's almost like this false perception. I, I think they're still moving, even when it's not super cold. It's just that a lot of times it's a lot easier to just, you miss them. If you're hunting, obviously that's different. But like just in general observation and driving down the road, when I come home every night, I've got fields near me that I'm constantly scanning. 
And I, man, if I have snow, it's like the kids pick them out. I can pick them out really easy when it's brown out there and it's just crop stubble and mud. Um, obviously they blend right in. So that it could be probably be a major factor in, in how you, the perception of their movement mm-hmm. is uh, based on the winter. Hmm. That, makes that makes sense. sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Mitch actually texted text me today. We were talking a little bit and I told him I, I've never once hunted whitetails in the snow in my entire life. Um, I've hunted elk, you know, out West and stuff, but I've, I've never hunted whitetails in the snow. I'll tell you what, man, it, it has its ups and downs. Obviously you see more. They, they stand out that like big time. And if it's not snowing at the time you shoot them, you get probably get a really nice blood trail. Mm-hmm. However, if you shoot one and it's snowing or snows on top of that blood trail, it's worthless. So, <laughs> um, and that can happen. It happened to me a couple of years ago where it wasn't even a lot of snow, but man, it just snowed a half inch or something from the time I shot till the time I went to tracker. And that was a dandy trying to find that deer. It, it turned into a grid search and I, I got her, but and I'm sure she's good. She, but, she has snow on top of her too. I'm sure. So that makes it even harder to find. It was not, not as easy as, <laughs> as I thought it was going to be. When I let that arrow go, man, I thought, Oh, this is great. Like going to have a beautiful blood trail and all this stuff. And then so I sat my 30 minutes or whatever. The next thing I know, I was like, Oh boy, this could be <laughs> fun. And it was getting dark. So yeah. that made it even better. Yeah. All right. Well, we're coming up on time here and I don't want to keep you all night, but one last real quick thing. Uh, you mentioned you'd hunted uh, Michigan and Pennsylvania. And uh, when I think, you know, hunting tradition, those are the two you know states that really come to mind. So just real quick, um, I know you, you haven't hunted them a ton, but uh, just talk a little bit about what you've seen from the hunting tradition from those states. So my time in Pennsylvania, I've uh, a couple different camps I've been to, but it, it's a lot of what you think. And it's the same guys getting together every year, uh, going out in the woods, scouting a lot of public land and uh, big woods. You know, it's getting super excited for people when they when they do get a buck. Um, Pennsylvania, and I'm not don't. There's no regulation check on this one because, all right, don't quote me on this because I'm not 100% sure. They don't appear to pass out doe tags as much as like Ohio does. Uh, you have to apply as an out of state or you had to apply for them. Um, it was kind of a cumbersome system, but they had doe tags if you wanted to get doe over there uh, and, and you timed it up right. Uh, Michigan, that was, that was fun. It was actually up in the UP and, um, very unique as far as the terrain and different things up there, way different than central Ohio. So, um, but the camp atmosphere, same thing. Great. You know, good times, new land, man. It's always fun to just explore new places and see new things. And, uh, yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, cool. Andrew, man, uh, thank you for coming on and having this chat with me. Uh, before I let you go though, I want to make sure I give you a chance to, to shout out all your stuff. So, um, yeah. Where can people find you? Well, uh, let's see, actually, and John, we didn't even talk about it. If anybody's still listening, uh, <laughs> you can go to podcast on Instagram. Uh, you'll get a feel for what hunting deer is like in Ohio. As I was going out to make, which the I- irony of it all is I was going out to make venison burgers tonight. And uh, I have a 
a doe and her name we've named her dolly long story she shows up all the time she's basically a pet of the people across the street which i'm sure is not really legal but uh here she is standing next to my grill and uh yeah but <laughs> it's that anyways, easy that's on yeah it's that it's that easy in ohio yeah. uh the dot o2 podcast on instagram we're on go wild is uh o2 podcast the o2 podcast.com i'm on there too uh personal stuff but like most of our content everything there and then obviously we're on the network with you on sportsman's empire so uh, usually our shows drop on wednesday and uh yeah try to cover a little bit of everything so very cool very cool well man i appreciate it thank you for this little uh north versus south discussion and until next time we'll see you next time oh man man that was a double that was bad that was a bad way to end until next time we'll see you later how about that all right sounds good thanks john man time flies when you're having fun we're coming up on an hour and 10 minutes here my bad folks thank you andrew for coming on i really enjoyed that conversation and i just thought it'd be a good one to have We've been talking about all this legislation and proposed changes and everything, so I just thought it'd be cool to kind of step out of the bounds of Oklahoma, talk about somebody from a different state, different part of the country, and just kind of what they're dealing with and how they handle things and season structures and all that good stuff. So, so yeah, huge shout out to Andrew for coming on. Go check him and the other guys out at the O2 podcast on the Sportsman's Empire. And I think that is all I have for you guys today. So a uh, quick second reminder, uh, go sign up for Oklahoma Controlled Hunts if you haven't already. And I think that is going to do it for this week. So thank you guys once again so much for listening to this podcast. And until next week, I will see y'all right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. Oh,